You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. It's the phone call many Shushwa property owners have been dreading. More than 130 families getting notifications their homes or businesses are gone, burned up in the giant Bush Creek East fire. Many others were saved, though. But as Aaron MacArthur reports, with so much work to do on damaged infrastructure, there's no timeline for when evacuees will be allowed to return. Smoky, thick skies keeping the fires around Shuswap Lake stable. The complex hasn't grown much in the past week, measured around 43,000 hectares. Any visible flames contained within the perimeter. The most active flank on the fire right now nearest Sorrento, where crews are building contingency guards in case the fire makes a further run. West and north of Shuswap Lake, homeowners are being contacted officially to inform them of the status of their properties. For 130 owners, the news is not good and not surprising. Homes, outbuildings, businesses have been destroyed. Now people want to know when or if they can return. I think it's more scary than frustrating because your future is just it's kind everything. of... It's, everything's up in the air and you don't know what to do. I just feel hopeless yeah. right now. The issue remains safety. Hundreds of hydro poles are still down. Trees and the ground remain unstable and dangerous. The road network impassable in places. The work to restore the infrastructure is continuing. It's certainly uh, challenging to, to be there. Um, there is a massive amount of damage that the local government has to sort of work with their stakeholders to resolve. In an effort to alleviate some of the mistrust that has grown in the region, BC Wildfire Service offered to train residents to help work the front lines. Several batches of people have gone through the training. Monday, 17 were on the front line. The government looking to improve how the service works with people who live in fire-damaged areas. In terms of the expandability of, of this, it's actually something that we were highly invested in prior to this fire season, uh, and it's something that we want to expand. One of the concerns from residents who stayed behind is rotting food, attracting wild animals into populated areas. The regional district dropping bins in affected communities to help manage the risk. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. As more evacuees in West Kelowna make their way home after being displaced by fire, some are seeing just how close they came to losing everything. Rose Ridge Park resident Joey Gitta discovered his backyard looking like a scene from a movie. The flames burned right onto his property but didn't reach his home. Just a block away, Debbie Hislop is also relieved after seeing the devastation in the forest behind her house where flames came just a few feet from her backyard. The two residents are among the countless people there who are thanking firefighters for saving their homes. So amazed and just thankful. And uh, apparently they came and set up sprinklers because they knew it was really close. And I sort of figured because we backed onto the regional park, if this row started, there was going to be hundreds more homes lost. Can't even express it honestly. Like my, me, my family, even everybody else in this neighborhood, it all goes out to those firefighters that were here putting in those days and hours just trying to make sure everything stayed safe. The McDougal Creek wildfire remains out of control and more than 2,000 residents are still out of their homes. 
West Kelowna's fire chief says it's going to take much longer for some residents to return because the damage in their areas is significant. Now, officials confirm 189 properties were damaged or destroyed in fires that continue to ravage the central Okanagan. Fewer than 2,300 properties remain on evacuation order and almost 54,000 are on evacuation alert. But firefighters are gaining the upper hand. And as Kamal Kuramali reports, that's giving those involved some time to reflect on the emergency. As the firefight continues on in West Kelowna, officials are now breathing a sigh of relief. At last, the war has shifted in their favor. We're just starting to process the emotion of all of it. Some now looking back on what they've lived through the last 11 days from momentous occasions missed. We try and take that 25 seconds it takes to sing happy birthday. And, uh, and if we're lucky to have enough time to actually cut the cake, then, then that's a bonus. To the formidable fight in the field. There were neighborhoods that I was in that we made the decision to write them off. We said we cannot fight fire in this neighborhood because first responders' lives are going to be put at risk. And then you go see that it got saved and it, it made it. It's a whole nother round of having to process that. A total of 189 structures destroyed. Majority are, of course, homes. And then for Lake Okanagan Resort, that counts in that number as one property. Now comes the emotional process of families returning to the remains of their homes. So we're being very specific in setting up a resiliency center so folks have a one-stop shop of where to go, whether they need emotional supports or they need to start talking about building permits and insurance. And questions about how to prevent similar tragedies. Local officials say the current funding model for fire prevention doesn't work, something they let the prime minister know during his visit last week. We need consistent infrastructure funding. This grant process does not work for communities, crisis aside. Every year we got to apply, and it's a very competitive application process. It's a cumbersome application process. But whether that change ever comes is still up in the air. We're going to need a beer, and we're going to need to sit down, and we're going to need to tell those stories uh, because they're legendary. Right now, after taking care of so many others, it's time for some well-deserved reflection. Kamil Kuramali, Global News. BC's emergency management minister is warning that while the wildfire situation has now momentarily stabilized, it could quickly flare out of control again. Bowen Ma says warmer, hotter and drier conditions are returning across much of the province. And she says the events of the past few weeks have shown how quickly fires can get out of control. The government is also providing an update on the number of people still waiting to return home. As of this morning, there are more than 8,000 people on evacuation order and nearly 54,000 people on evacuation alert. The BC Wildfire Service, local governments and First Nations are working diligently to assess the situation and make sure that areas are safe before people can return to their home. Keeping people safe is our first priority. As soon as it is safe, you'll be allowed to return to your community. We have 376 active fires burning around B.C. right now. 159 of those are classified as out of control. Twelve of them are being called fires of note because they threaten property. And we'll bring in Jordan Armstrong now for more on the provincial wildfire picture and some of those fires of note. Jordan, uh, there were some positives from today's briefing, but... 
Uh, as you're about to outline, it's not over yet. Yeah, Chris, far from over. Basically, I'll break this down two ways. I'll start with the fires of note, which should see improvement in the form of rain in the days ahead. Then I'll move into some of the fires that officials are really worried about, the ones that they fear could worsen. So as we've heard, rain is coming to the southern part of the province. Fingers crossed that should help tame the Downton Lake fire. Uh, this is the fire west of Lillooet. It has been burning out of control since July 13th, and you can see the evacuation order area in red. The fire is now 9,300 hectares. And as we move to the southeast, we'll find another fire of note. Uh, this is the Casper Creek fire. It is nearly 11,000 hectares and has been burning since July 11th. Then we have another big fire down here. This is the Stein mountain fire and you can see evacuation orders there on the west side of the Fraser River. This fire burning since July 12th. It is 3400 hectares as I mentioned with evacuation orders on the west side of the river and then we go a little bit further to the south south of Lytton. This is a big one. This is the Cookapee Creek fire. It has been burning since July 8th. There are evacuation orders and alerts on both sides of the river as well. Highway 1 has been closed and is still closed with no reopening in the forecast. So the rain should help these fires. That's the good news. Where there is a lot of concern, Chris, is in the northern part of our province. You can see in the northeast corner of B.C., a lot of fires burning up there. Uh, the hot, dry weather will continue in that area. None of these are fires of note, but that could certainly change. And near the middle is one to watch for sure. This is the uh, Little Blue River fire. It is already shut down Highway 37 to the Yukon border. You can see it there, and it is growing. It is 36,000 hectares forecast to grow in the days ahead. So BC Wildfire Service planning to move more resources to that blaze as well as the others in northern BC. You'll remember, Chris, the wildfire season actually started in northern BC a few months back and now it seems to be pivoting back there in the days ahead. Yeah, and it could go for another few months. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Thanks very much for the update, Jordan. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on the costs of this record-breaking wildfire season. Jordan mentioned how early it started and the dollars have been ticking up, obviously, Keith. Yeah, we've been reporting for months this is going to be the worst wildfire season in B.C. history. Already consumed a record number of hectares, uh, forest burnt, but not setting a record quite yet in terms of dollars being spent, but we're close to setting a record. Here's how this year stacks up. So the worst, uh, most expensive years were those terrible years, 2017 and 2018, where the bills came in at more than $600 million. The 10-year average, just over $300 million. We're already at $585 million. We likely will surpass the record because we still have a number of weeks left and what is going to be an ongoing terrible season. Now, it doesn't mean it's over budget because the finance minister, Bruce Rawson, point out today, basically we spend money where it needs to be spent. If something's on fire and it needs to be put out, the money's going to be spent no matter what the line item may be in the budget. We have exceeded the line items in some years. Some years it comes less than that, but the money is spent on where it needs to be spent. Here's the forest minister. I am told that the, the amount spent this year uh, directly is $585 million. Um, you're right to note that it has been higher in uh, other years and indeed lower in other years. That really depends on the intensity of the fire season. Uh, I would add, too, that there, there's no uh, financial challenge to the province. The, the money is there if it's required and when it's required to spend. So whatever it takes to protect people, to protect property, uh, is, is there. 
So a couple other things that came out of today's briefing. Cliff Chapman, the director of the Wildfire Service, says about 40% of all the costs in fighting wildfires are as a result of aerial fights. And that means helicopters and airplanes are very expensive. Almost half the costs go to there. I asked Bruce Walston, what about an external review at the end of this summer? He will not commit to that quite yet. But Bowen Ma, the emergency management minister, said she is bringing in a new law this fall that will update a long-needed update for the Emergency Response Act. All right, we'll look forward to that update. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, just weeks after a major landslide snarled traffic for months in Summerland, another one has severed the Okanagan's main north-south corridor. Take a look at the scene earlier today along Highway 97. Huge chunks of rock falling onto the road below, blocking both lanes of traffic. That landslide occurred between Bridgman Road and North Beach Road. A geotechnical assessment is already underway, but drivers can expect major delays. Motorists are being detoured via Highway 97C, the Okanagan Connector, and Highway 3 and Highway 33 to get around that enclosure, or sorry, that closure. No word yet on any injuries or when the road might fully reopen. And when you look at the price of gas as you drive, do you feel like you're on a bit of a roller coaster? Seemingly out of nowhere this weekend, the price spiked. It's back down a little bit today, but only if you know where to look. Janet Brown has more on gasoline's recent ups and downs. If you're going to save money, you'll go where you can. And if you're close enough to a place like a Costco in Bellingham, where you're going to save 30, 35 bucks, uh, why wouldn't you? So you've been shopping for your gas in Bellingham for almost three years. Yeah. Over that time, what do you figure the savings have been? Probably $5,000 over the last two and a half, three years. That's a lot of money. Could pay for a very nice vacation. The price of gas in Metro Vancouver has hit $2.12 a liter. That is the highest this year. One of the reasons, supply and demand. You have a scenario globally where oil production is not meeting demand by at least a million and a half barrels a day. One thing is very certain, demand globally is on the rise, supply is not. The Canadian Taxpayers Federation says 78 cents of every litre of gas goes to taxes. That means when you do a 64 litre fill up, you're paying about $50 just in taxes. That's more money than it costs to buy a chicken dinner with all the fixings for a family of four. And he says if the government wants to do something about affordability, it should suspend provincial portions of the gas tax. Starting with the TransLink tax and the second provincial carbon tax, that would be a great place to start. The Surrey Board of Trade says trucking companies are especially hard hit by rising gas prices. In our transportation industry especially, uh, our truckers and, and warehousers, they are uh, feeling the pinch uh, quite significantly because their cost of transporting goods and their, their daily uh, uh, living costs are increasing considerably. I get the impression that you sort of feel like it's your to let people know back home what the price of gas is down there. When we're going out shopping and we find a deal, we always want to let our friends and family know, hey, you know, look, look what I got. However, there is some good news. The price at the pump is expected to go down by eight cents a liter on Wednesday to 204 a liter. Janet Brown, Global News. The province is announcing new affordable rental homes are on the way for people with low incomes. The province is inviting nonprofits, First Nations, municipalities, and other organizations to submit proposals for the Building BC Community Housing Fund. BC Housing Minister Ravi Kalon says his newest or this newest round of funding will go towards creating about 3,500 new affordable homes in the province. 
Kellogg says this is a significant step towards the goal of building 20,000 CHF-funded homes by the year 2032, with 9,000 already open or underway throughout B.C. The Community Housing Fund is just one of the ways we're addressing this housing crisis. And we're doing much more than building new homes and bringing back empty homes back into the housing market. Proposals for the $3.3 billion CHF investment are managed by BC Housing and will be accepted until mid-November this year. Depending on prioritization with project proposals totaling around 3,500 expected units will be announced by early next year. BC Ferries annual report shows staff shortages are playing a major role in sailing cancellations. The number of cancellations has dramatically risen in the past few years. Global's Travis Prasad explores exactly why the staffing issues are heavily impacting the industry. On August 24th, ferry service from Crofton to Salt Spring Island stopped unexpectedly. Making for a frustrating travel day. You're getting people with children parked up a mile, um, no bathroom facilities, no anything facilities. I wouldn't call that acceptable. BC Ferries blaming the cancellations on a lack of crew. That same day happened to be the ferry service's annual general meeting, where it was revealed between April 2022 and March 2023, crew shortages accounted for 40% of all sailing cancellations. That's 15% more than last year and a substantial jump from three years ago when staffing shortfalls caused 25 cancelled sailings. BC Ferries, they just, they, they can't keep, seem to keep staff. And that's a problem. Transport Canada safety regulations require a minimum number of crew on board each ferry relative to the number of passengers. If that staffing level is not met... The vessel may not sail. That could be as little as one person, a chief engineer a captain. Uh, it could also be the result of a number of people, so perhaps a deckhand and a catering attendant. If a short-staffed vessel does run, Eric McNeely says it can only take a fraction of the passengers. A service disruption not reflected in the stats. Now, I've gone onto ships and the ship has not been fully loaded and the reason they weren't able to fully load, even though there was plenty of uh, traffic in the parking lot, uh, they couldn't fully load because they didn't have enough crew. That's a real impact on the traveling public. BC Ferries was not available for an interview Monday, but in an email said they're dealing with a skilled worker shortage, more sick calls, and an aging workforce. Staffing woes coming at a time when ridership is higher than ever. There were more than 177,000 sailings in the last fiscal year. That's 7,600 more than what is in the Coastal Ferry Services contract. And it doesn't make the news, but uh, eight and a half out of 10 of those sailings go out on time. But that's only when there's enough staff on hand for the ferries to set sail. Travis Prasad, Global News. Justice denied for shop owners hit by thieves. An analysis of crime statistics shows few shoplifters are ever charged and fewer still are convicted. How some say the system needs a major overhaul sooner than later. That's next on the News Hour. We consider it to be a living being and that it has its own spirit. A monumental day for a B.C. First Nation in Scotland to reclaim a memorial pole that was taken from them at the turn of the last century. That's coming up later on the news hour. And heroes come in all shapes and sizes and ages. How he raced to the rescue on his scooter later. 
Well, it's a problem that's reached epidemic proportions for many Vancouver businesses. Shoplifters making off with everything from small amounts of goods to hauls of merchandise worth thousands of dollars. Vancouver police launched a major crackdown, but as Kristen Robinson reports, despite a lot of arrests, there haven't been many convictions. As tourists fill Gastown during the final days of summer, the Business Improvement Society says the clock is ticking on crime. That really troubles me, is just the, the nonchalantness of folks' ability to just steal things and walk out the door. Like there's just, there's no shame in it. Uh, and that is a scary place to be. When police made 217 arrests during a three-week shoplifting crackdown earlier this year, Wally Wargalette warned Vancouver was on the cusp of San Francisco, where brazen shoplifters act like they have a right to steal. The VPD's Project Barcode recommended 278 charges. 155 cases, or 56%, resulted in no charges. Of the 147 charges approved by Crown, 58 or 39% saw convictions, 26 charges or 18% were stayed, 62 or 42% are still pending. I think this is the, one of the patterns that we're most concerned about. We've caught these thieves in the act. We uh, had very secure, solid evidence. It is frustrating for businesses and it's frustrating for many of our officers who work hard to identify criminals when there's a perception that these people aren't, aren't suffering the consequences. There's no sort of freeze on charging uh, people for shoplifting. Lawyer Leo Fumano says the Crown's charge approval standard tests whether there's a substantial likelihood of conviction and whether or not it's in the public interest. I can assure you the Crown's not saying, oh, I, we're not interested in this. There, there is a very good reason, particularly with chronic offenders, um, to, um, to proceed and to lay these charges. Wargalette says he hopes to see bail reform legislation passed this fall to help our city avoid becoming one where stores chain up their freezers to prevent theft. Well, I think uh, San Francisco provides a cautionary tale. Vancouver's mayor says his party is delivering on public safety promises, but senior levels of government need to step up. Or we won't be solving the problem. And that's just a social norm that we cannot allow to become uh, normalized. Kristen Robinson, Global News. A major retail event kicked off in Vancouver this morning for anyone looking to snap up some deals on fashion. So it's your first time? First timers. What do you think about the line? Outrageous. <laughs> the lineup to get into the annual Aritzia warehouse sale snaked all along the outside of the convention center. Some people reportedly started lining up Sunday night. The Vancouver-based clothing retailer is offering discounts of 50 to 90% off everything. Have you guys been to this sale before? Yeah, we've been going for a long time. So are the deals worth the wait? I think it's half of the deals and half of it is just kind of the fun experience, right? You go, you shop, you yeah, hang it's, out. It's kind of an annual thing for us. We like to come and it's a nice place to wait in line because it's a beautiful view and it's a nice day. The public sale begins Tuesday morning at 7 o'clock. Everyone lining up today was a preferred customer taking advantage of a pre-sale offered to them. Just ahead, an update on the explosion that rocked Prince George. New details from the blast zone and how many businesses were damaged. Plus, businesses on edge in Nanaimo after a series of suspicious fires.
Good evening. Still dealing with a tipped-over semi-trailer over here at the north end of the Queensboro Bridge, but it's not causing any delays anymore. Select Sussex Insurance and make a difference when you renew your auto plan online. Select your neighborhood Sussex Insurance location when prompted and help support Diabetes Canada exclusively at Sussex Insurance. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One at the Queensboro Bridge. The Kelowna RCMP officer caught on camera dragging a young woman down a hallway during a wellness check will not serve any jail time. In January 2020, Constable Lacey Browning responded to a mental health call at UBC Okanagan Student Housing. She found nursing student Mona unresponsive in her room along with evidence of self-harm. Browning arrested Mona Wong under the Mental Health Act and handcuffed her. Surveillance video shows Browning dragging Wong face down to the building's elevators and then to the front door and stepping on her head. In November, Browning pleaded guilty to one charge of assault. She's been sentenced to 160 hours of community service and will not have a criminal record. And she is still an RCMP officer. The city of Prince George says more than 50 businesses were damaged by last week's downtown explosion. At least nine buildings surrounding the explosion site had their windows blown out, and there's been extensive damage to the University of Northern British Columbia's Wood Innovation Research Laboratory. A city worker who was working near the building when the explosion happened has been released from ICU now and has been flown to a burn unit in Vancouver. We've reached out and uh, expressed our, our wishes for a speedy recovery and uh, on behalf of all of city staff I think it was uh, great to hear on the weekend some some positive news in terms of her road to recovery that she's out of ICU and and hopefully uh, on the road to a speedy recovery. The cause of the explosion is still under investigation. Dominion Street between 4th and 5th Avenue in Prince George remains closed as RCMP continue to talk to people and businesses in that area. A series of suspicious fires in Nanaimo have people on edge. Business owners and police suspect the fires are linked to a group of marginalized people dealing with drug addiction. The danger has many calling for more to be done to deal with the problem. Kylie Stanton reports. There was probably eight or nine police cars on Milton Street. It was just after midnight when Nanaimo emergency crews rushed to the call. Another building on fire, another business at risk, this time a crematorium. When I first got the phone call at about 2 a.m. from the fire department asking if they could gain access into the building to put out a fire, I was like, um, uh, yeah. Firefighters were able to quickly put out the blaze that Nanaimo RCMP say started when a homeless man's belongings were set on fire. We did some canvassing in the area. We found a camera angle, very grainy, so we saw a bright light emanating from his effects. Then the fire started shortly thereafter. It's the third suspicious fire in the span of just a week. On August 19th, flames engulfed this dental office on Wentworth Street. Crews were able to extinguish the blaze before it spread to neighboring buildings. Two suspects were arrested. One was charged. The same day, there was a report of a fire set to the back wall of the Vancouver Island Raiders football club's field house. All ignited during a drought, a fire ban and extreme wildfire conditions. It's very troubling. A lot of these fires we know are being started by marginalized people who are deep in the throes of drug addiction. Uh, having said that, it's tinder dry.
Given the situation in BC's interior, the potential for disaster all too real, leaving residents here on edge. We have these fires being lit by um, by people that seem to have absolutely no regard for, for the danger that they're putting the public in. Once again, the Nanaimo Area Public Safety Association is calling on provincial and federal governments to take action. There's really no time left to uh, play politics or, or play the blame game. Like We need changes to be um, enacted and enforced immediately. Door was open. They told As for Owens, he knows he's one of the lucky ones. Things here could have been. Much, much worse, yes. Kylie Stanton, Global News. Up next, a major victory for BC's Nishka First Nation. A poll stolen from them more than a century ago is finally coming back to its rightful owners. And coming up in sports, summer's over for Canucks coach Rick Tockett. What he's doing to prepare for the start of camp. Counterflow is out over here at the Massey Tunnel. Two lanes in both directions and just a bit of volume southbound on the approach to Steveston Highway. Contact Kermac for expert windshield repair and replacement services while supporting Kermac Cares for Kids. Kermac is celebrating 50 years of collision and auto glass services, and that's no accident. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above the Massey Tunnel. The process of righting an historic wrong in B.C. starts with an emotional ceremony in Scotland. Representatives from the Nishka Nation are working with the Scottish government to return a piece of history stolen from them more than a century ago. Krista Dow reports. This marks the beginning of a journey to reclaim a piece of their history. Delegates from the Nishka Nation preparing the House of Nishjaw Memorial Totem Pole for its voyage from Edinburgh, Scotland, back home to BC. I'm really, really emotional right now. Tamalgit Nishjaw says bringing the totem home to Canada means bringing his ancestral grandmother home to rest. All the stories that we have on this pole and all the names that I have and use in my family today comes from her work. Once it's raised, we consider it to be a living being and that it has its own spirit. The 11-meter totem pole was hand-carved in 1860 to honor a warrior. According to the Nishka Nation, it was later stolen in 1929 by a Canadian researcher who then sold it to the Scottish Museum. The repatriation, a symbolic moment for reconciliation. The time was right for it to return to where it should never have been taken from in the first place. Undoubtedly, it's a huge challenge to museums and governments right across the world to confront the issue of cultural uh, artefacts. The return of first of its kind in the UK and comes amid a call in recent years for museums to return cultural artefacts. The totem will be transported back home by a Canadian military aircraft with a ceremony and feast for a thousand planned for September 29th to mark its arrival. I've seen my children's children and the rest of my family, their children. It'll be there for them for years. 
Each one represents a sort of constitutional chapter about the Niska peoples and our relationship to the lands that we belong. The homecoming, an acknowledgement of its history while turning the page to a new chapter, righting wrongs from nearly a century ago. Chris Dow, Global News. In Health Matters tonight, Canada Blood Services is asking you to roll up your sleeve heading into the long weekend. Summers are typically slow for blood donation in Canada, but this local plea for donors comes as supply levels are dwindling because of recent wildfires. In fact, last week alone, officials say more than 300 appointments were cancelled in Kelowna. Countrywide, the situation is much worse as Canada Blood Services says close to 10,000 appointments actually need to be filled across the country by Labor Day. For more information or to book an appointment, you can head to blood.ca. Coming up, the hero on a scooter. I'm not very mobile. How he rode to rescue to save a little girl. And despite stellar performances in the preseason, the NFL dream takes a detour for former BC Lions quarterback Nathan Rourke. All right, we'll check on the weather now. Some showers and maybe even some lightning was expected to roll through the area. Yvonne's got the details now. Yes, Chris, a bit of a difference in comparison to what we were tracking over the weekend where it was very hot and hazy, but we're still going to see those hazy skies and we still have a smoky skies bulletin that is in effect. But here's what we are seeing right now. Out of the airport, we've got dry conditions. We're sitting at 17 degrees. We can see the hazy skies with the northeasterly wind at 30 kilometers per hour. But the active weather is still going to continue overnight and taking us in towards tomorrow. We've got a few lightning strikes that have popped up, extending in towards the Fraser Valley and a few areas now. A line of thunderstorms just working its way in towards Parksville and we still have a severe thunderstorm that is in effect and that impacts the northern tip of Vancouver Island. So lots of instability will take us overnight and in towards our Tuesday but we are seeing the return for some wet weather. Smoky skies bulletin still remains in effect for the southern interior, the northern half and we do have a heat warning. Areas near the peace with temperatures still soaring up to 30 degrees for tomorrow. Wanted to show you the rainfall totals potentially 5 and up to 10 millimeters will be along the south coast. Areas in towards the interior, we're hoping to see upwards of 10 millimeters for most spots, even into the southern interior. Now, here's the northern half of the province. Widespread smoke, hot for the northeastern corners, bit of instability even along the north coast. Areas into the southern interior, we'll see that risk of thunderstorms. A warm day tomorrow into the upper 20s, and all areas along the south coast and the lower mainland will be looking at that risk of thunderstorms. Cooler for tomorrow, brief break on Wednesday, showers on Thursday, and then we'll rebound on our Friday with highs up to 23. All right, tonight's weather window capturing this great shot of lightning in Port McNeil from Chad. Chris? Ooh, that's a good frame. Thanks, Chad, for sending that in. Thanks, Yvonne. And look who's back from a well-deserved break. If he's ready. What's that? There he is. <laughs> it was me. I was dancing around. <laughs> She's dancing around, standing your spot, Yvonne. It was Squire. He was there. That's right. He was, he was ready to go. Nice to have you back, Squire. Nice to be back. Yes. When I take vacations, it's very rare and it feels very odd <laughs> when I'm not here. So this is like my second house. Uh, anyway, we're going to uh, talk to Rick Tockett. Uh, of course, the Canucks are getting close to training camp, so we'll hear from the uh, coach. Uh, Nathan Rourke got the word today. He didn't make the Jacksonville Jaguars. Could come back on their practice roster, but uh, there are other teams who might be interested in him. And Canada's men's soccer team is looking for a new head coach. Mm, that's big. Thanks very much, Squire. Also tonight, how this 86-year-old saved a young girl from drowning.
Uh, tough news for Nathan Rourke, but there's still hope for a guy oh, with I, his ability, right? Yes. I mean, there are a lot of NFL teams who would have seen what he did, and Jacksonville likes him. Yeah. But they don't like him as a top two guy, at least not right now. I mean, they know who their number one guy is. It's Trevor Lawrence, obviously. Mm -hmm. And despite a solid preseason and having the most viral video play of the NFL exhibition campaign this year, Nathan Rourke was waived by Jacksonville. Now, he's free to be picked up by another NFL team, or he could be brought back to be part of the Jacksonville Jaguars practice roster, sort of a third stringer. It's not surprising this happened. Jacksonville likes its veteran backup, C.J. Beathard. He knows the system and is the case with every third-string quarterback in preseason, which Rourke was, when he was out there playing, he was mainly playing against other third-stringers, and that does affect a coach's decision. Now, Rourke had good exhibition numbers to go along with this great play where he squirmed out of a sack, completed 65% of his passes, didn't throw an interception, threw a touchdown, ran for a touchdown, Despite being put on waivers, he'll likely stay in the NFL somehow. It's a great dream for Lions fans, but it's a long shot he'll come back here this year. It would be great, but right now it's very unlikely. And another BC NFLer got waived today. Defensive lineman Christian Covington was dropped by Detroit. He's played in the NFL since 2015. He's had a good career so far. Played for Houston, Dallas, Denver, Cincinnati, and the L.A. Chargers. Born and raised in Vancouver, and his dad, Grover, is a CFL Hall of Famer and also the CFL's all-time sack leader. Well, Rick Tockett is in Vancouver. He's getting ready to start the season as the Canucks head coach. Of course, last year he only finished the season after Bruce Boudreau was fired. The team was better under Tockett, but momentum doesn't always last through the summer. Optimism certainly does. And like all coaches, Tockett can't wait to get going, and recently he sat down with Jay to talk about it. Summer been. Uh, it's been long, too long. It's, uh, it, it's been a good summer. It's been a good summer. It's uh, trying to occupy your time. It is a lot, of, a lot of time off, so you just try to occupy it with certain things. It's been a busy summer for Rick Tockett personally and professionally. He's in the best shape of his non-playing days, just eight pounds shy of his skating weight back in the day. He's also anxious for camp to start to see the Canucks' new off-season additions in person. How different is the hockey team going to be the one that we see at training camp, coming out of training camp, from the one that finished the season in April? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Patrick and Jim did a great job this summer. You know, um, you know, we got some guys that um, are gritty, um, good PK guys. Um, and also some guys, you know, took one-year deals or short deals because, you know, they want to sh it's a show-me deal too. So it kind of works both, uh, for both kind of parties. So um, I, I, I thought they did a nice job, you know. Uh, didn't get in trouble, you know, I think sometimes in free agent, you know, I've talked to some organization, coaches or whatever, general managers, you can get in trouble making the wrong signs. And I think we did a, a nice job of acquiring people that we kind of wanted to cover some of our weaknesses up, and that was the penalty kill. Tockett's been in town for just under two weeks now as he and his coaching staff prepare for a full season together. In his 36 games last season, the Canucks produced 20 wins and had a winning percentage just over 600. It was the kind of bump you'd expect to see from a coaching change. Now we're about to find out if the Canucks can build off that. Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, as a coach, you hear, you know, whether it's a coaching bump and, you know, you're, out of, you know, you're probably not going to make the playoffs easier. Like, you hear all that stuff, and all I can really, honestly, all I think at the moment I'm in it, the game, the practice that day, I'm a day-to-day -day guy. I really am. Um, 
you know, the energy level, I worry about um, uh, to keep it at, uh, at a high level, this team at a high energy. Uh, the hockey IQ is something I want us to improve on. So these are the things I really worry about. I don't really worry about all those other things that come your way or, you know, so the reasons why. I don't really care about it. It's all I can do is coach day to day, and that's really what I think about. Are you comfortable labeling yourself as being a playoff team? Um, I just want us to, you know, if, that's probably every coach says that, you know, we want to be a playoff team, obviously. Um, I'm not, I mean, it's, I could predict whatever I could predict, but all I know is my job is to get this team to compete every night to the highest, and, 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 I, and I feel that's my job. So if you compete on a nightly basis, if you have 23, 24 guys pulling the same rope, you have a better chance of making the playoffs. That's the way I look at it. John Herdman has quit as the head coach of Canada's men's national soccer team, ending a long relationship with Canada soccer because before the men's team, he was coach of our women's team. He's quitting to become the new head coach of Toronto FC of Major League Soccer. And this move is not surprising. This rumor of Herdman leaving has been floating around for a while, given how messed up Canada soccer has become. Maybe he felt this was a good time to get in a lifeboat. Now, even though... Canada is one of the hosts for next year's World Cup. He is leaving. No replacement has been named yet. And you can say what you want about his tactics, but he did make our women's and men's teams a lot more successful. And he took us to the World Cup for just the second time in the men's history. Mm -hmm. There you go. Oh, Felix Oje, Ali Azim, Milos Ronic, both out at the U.S. Open. All over. All right, thanks. Up next, proof you're never too old to be a hero. All right, Jordan Armstrong is here now with a preview of what's coming up on Global News at 11. A lot of Drake fans unhappy. Yeah, you bet, Chris. Superstar Drake will not be performing at Rogers Arena tonight as planned. Less than an hour before 7 p.m. showtime, Rogers Arena tweeted this. Due to unforeseen circumstances with the newly installed, installed rather, video board, tonight's Drake performance will now take place on Wednesday. All tickets will be honored. The Drake show scheduled for tomorrow will go on as planned. So, yes, disappointing news for fans, many of whom were on the road or on SkyTrain heading for the show when that news broke. We're gathering reaction and hopefully a better explanation from arena officials, and we'll have a full report at 11, Chris. All right, look forward to that. Thank you very much, Jordan. Now, a senior is being hailed a hero for his valiant effort to save a little girl drowning in a pond. As Global's Lisa McGregor reports, what makes this story even more incredible is the 86-year-old has serious mobility issues. It started as just an average Thursday for Fred Wazalishin. At around 2 o'clock, he left his retirement home to take his dog Bob out. While coming down this sidewalk, he saw a girl walking by herself down the path up ahead. She was walking down towards the lake. I started hollering for help. Of course, because I can't, I'm not very mobile. But no one was around and she kept going. Despite having mobility issues after two hip replacements, knee surgery, a heart attack and cancer, Fred still jumped into action. When I saw her step in the lake, I tried to walk down. I can't walk on that rough ground. I fell. I just sat on my butt, <laughs> worked my way down. It was the only way. This is how steep the hill is. So imagine how difficult it would be to drag yourself down this hill to a deep pond, rescue a little girl and drag her to safety. I got close enough. I grabbed her foot, pulled her close. Her eyes were open. 
When Fred and the little girl got to shore, neighbors were there to help after hearing the dog barking and seeing all the commotion. Paramedics also arrived. When I came out, they kept asking me, you know, do you need to go to the hospital? No. I was okay. I was, I was cold. They had a blanket around me and around her, so we were fine. His two hearing aids were damaged by water, though. I can't hear quite as good now, but I'll, I'll get them fixed. <laughs> His wife, Ruth, was at the bank when it all happened and was shocked when she walked in the door at home. My first impression was, did he have a heart attack? Because he was shaking so bad, but he was covered in mud and wringing wet. The 86-year-old is being hailed a hero. It was hard to believe that this all happened, but I know my husband, and I know how he reacts to things like that. Uh, very caring person. Fred is still a little shaken up because the situation could have been much worse. If I was three or four minutes after, I wouldn't have seen her going down there probably. I don't know. It, it was just somebody up there was, was helping us. Lisa McGregor, Global News. She was so lucky. And we're lucky to have Fred. Well done, Fred. Uh, and some showers rolling through right now. Yvonne's got before we sign off. Yeah, we are looking at some active weather even overnight. And for tomorrow, we're looking at the risk of thunderstorms. So a heads up. Uh, temperatures tomorrow cooler at 19. Should rebound a bit on Wednesday. And then a look ahead towards our Friday as we get in towards the long weekend. Warming up again a little bit there. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks for watching, everyone. We'll see you tomorrow. Have a good night.